into this message on the full, the full message of grace. And if you look around today in churches across the world, you know, there's a lot of teaching on grace and there's a lot of teaching on works. And in many cases, what you'll find is that a lot of times there's a teaching that goes to an extreme in one direction or the other. Let me even say that not necessarily just from a teaching standpoint in the church, that people in the church all, all over the world live in such a way where many times they live a life that you can tell they're, they're, they're much more bent or, or extreme in this direction of works or they're much more extreme in this direction of grace and that shows in the way that they, they live their lives. I would say, you know, an extreme place of grace as far as taking it beyond the way that the, the gospel that the Bible actually conveys is, you know, people would say that grace covers the past and future sins that we would commit, and that is true, but to the point that there's really no need to get hung up or get worried or really care too much about how we live. It's kind of like almost a reckless you know, aimless lifestyle because grace just covers it. And so we're under grace. And so what does it really matter? Whatever you do, whatever I do, there's grace. And so just go on and be happy. And, and we got grace, you know. Now, on the other end, to the extreme with works, people would say, look, if your works aren't evident, if you're not really showing, you know, the right living that God commands us to, then, you know, you're either you're falling from grace or you're, you're just you're backslidden out from under grace. You're not under it anymore. Or you've got to somehow work to get your, get your works and your deeds back in the right place so you can kind of get yourself back to this place of grace, right? Those are like the two extreme sides, the best way I can give you examples. And the interesting thing is if you look at Scripture and, and you just take bits and pieces of that in the Bible you can actually get a pretty strong case going in one side or the other. But only if you take bits and pieces of that. For example, James says, the, the Apostle James, he says uh, that faith without works is dead, right? He's saying that if, if you don't have your works, then you don't have the faith. If your works aren't showing, then your faith is dead. So if you strictly build off of that, you could, you could continue to go further and further in this extreme direction of works like I just gave you an example of. Now, on the other end, in Ephesians, Paul says that you know, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so if you look at that message that you know, works has nothing to do with our salvation, which it doesn't, but if you get hung up in that area and you go too far, you can begin to kind of take that to an extreme. And so what I'm just saying is, look, people come to these conclusions, they arrive at these places uh, because they're, they're, they're taking Scripture and truths that are accurate, but then they begin to kind of slant them or take them too far in one direction or the other. You know, I'm, when you think about getting a partial picture of a full picture and not the entire thing, it, it, and you try to act on it, you try to move forward on it, it, it ends up ultimately long-term creating a lot of problems, right? And I'm kind of a classic example of that, honestly. Like, when I get directions or instructions when I buy something, I read as much as I think I need to until I don't think I need to read it anymore. Like, I can put it together. I know what's happening, right? I know how to do this. 
And almost inevitably, every time I get to a point where I pick the directions, the instructions back up, because I'm kind of like puzzled with something or whatever, and then I realize that there were, hey, never do this when you're doing this, right? Oh, I did that. Or make sure you do this before you get to that point. So there's like certain elements or pieces, if you take them away from the whole picture, that the actual outcome or the end result long term gets compromised a bit. And, you know, Paul does, the Apostle Paul does an incredible job in the book of Romans really laying out what I would say is the, the, the best case of looking at this full message of grace because he, he takes and addresses the whole message of grace, but he also talks about the importance of our works and of our right living before God. But here's the key, okay? This book of Romans that he writes, he writes it all in one city. Like, this is one letter that he's taking and he's sending to the people at the church of Rome, and he's, he's wanting them to kind of grasp and take in this whole thing like at one time. He's not saying, hey, read chapters 3 and 4, and then you got it, move on. But at the same time, he's not separating these two messages like, I'll, I'll teach you about grace, and then I'll come back later, and I'll teach you about works. He goes through this whole thing from beginning to end in one letter. We know it as the book of Romans, 16 chapters. Sometimes we read scriptures and verses out of it. Sometimes we go read a few chapters. Sometimes we sit down and read it, and then we come back later and read the rest of it. But Paul wrote this whole thing at one time to convey one message, one overarching truth and principle that he knew people needed to grasp in order to walk out in fullness the, me- the, the life that God had for them. Because here's what's critical about understanding the full message of grace, is that as a believer, if you don't grasp this in its entirety, if you just grasp this in partiality, it will eventually cause you to become disoriented in your walk through this life that God has you on. It will eventually cause you to, to, to veer off course a little bit and, and have some things you know, off base or some foundation of truth a little bit skewed. And it'll, it'll catch up to you. It'll cause you to become disoriented at a point in time. All right? Now, as an unbeliever, this is really critical also because what I've found is for most people that don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, and for most people, there's usually only one or two things that are keeping them from that. There's usually only one or two things that are like big hang-ups in their mind that are standing between them and a full acceptance or a full just abandonment to seeking God and wanting a relationship with Him. And you can understand as an unbeliever how like if you felt that you had to work to achieve something or becoming a Christian meant that now you had to live a certain way and, it, and you just, if you didn't, you weren't going to stay in the church, right? You could see how this would be an incredible hang up for somebody that is an unbeliever that uh, maybe desires to, to have the truth, but yet they've got this, this thing standing between them and knowing God that's a misunderstanding of the whole grace and, and works idea. And so we're going to start with Paul's opening comments in Romans chapter 1. Now, this isn't going to be necessarily what I would, we would call like an expositional teaching where we just go through 
every verse by verse or chapter by chapter and just keep building off of that, all right? We do teach that way sometimes, but this is more of like a broad overview. My heart here is that you grasp through these messages that we're teaching on, that you grasp this full message of grace, the way Paul is teaching it, the way Paul is laying it out to the people that are in the church here and not, and, and be able to, you know, leave here and come out of here with this foundation of truth really established in you about what the full message of grace really is. So in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, and this is how he, he basically, he says, you know, he starts out saying greetings and good, you know, I'm glad to be your brother and all this kind of stuff. And then he opens up the rest of the letter with this statement that's so powerful. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul starts out making these, this statement here that he's, he's basically saying his whole heart here, his whole passion, his, his whole endeavor is to give people the graph that our justification before God, our righteousness in God is entirely linked to faith and grace and has absolutely nothing to do with works. Now again, I already said he's going to talk about works later and you're going to see how that flows out of this message. But he starts out setting the rudder right here. Look, everything about being accepted by God, everything about your ability to go to heaven and have eternal life, everything about being justified from the sin that you were born into this life with, everything about it has to do with the grace of God. It has to do with nothing that you could possibly do to earn it that there is a, a right, we are incapable of achieving a righteousness in our own that only we can achieve in Christ, right? So the gospel of Christ, it is the gospel of grace. The whole message of what Jesus did is, a, is the gospel of grace, many would call it, right? It's this unmerited, undeserving empowerment and favor and presence of God that comes on us, that empowers us, to be what God has created us to be and to do what God has called us to do. There's sort of a two-part message in that, and I'll, I'll explain more about that in a second, but, but get this. The grace of God is the undeserving, unearned, unmerited on our part, favor and empowerment that comes on us, that's imparted to us, the Bible calls it imputed, just get, it just comes to us, undeserved and unmerited, and it empowers us to be who God has created us to be, which is His child, His children of God, heirs of salvation, going to spend eternity with Him, and we're in relationship with Him now, and to do what He's called us to do, which is to walk out this life of impact and influence and kingdom advancement that He has called us to before we leave this earth to go to be with Him. The entire thing is wrapped up in grace and not in works. He even says that the gospel of sal the, the power of God to salvation, the gospel of grace, it is the power of God of, unto salvation. So there's 
all that happens because there's a supernatural release, impartation, and, and transfer of God's grace to us. It's nothing that gets done in the natural or on the physical side of our being. He goes on in, verse, uh, in chapter 3 to talk about how important it is. If you're going to grasp this message of grace, if you're going to really receive God's grace, you have to first understand how much you need it. You have to first understand like how lost we really are without it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, he says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. This is what many theologians would explain as the depravity of man. The depravity of man, meaning man is, is depraved. He is incapable of this righteousness, of this goodness that puts us in, in right standing with God on his own. And in desperate need of some supernatural measure or supernatural provision that we know and understand was the work of Christ on the cross, we call the message of grace. Right? So he's saying that you've got to grasp how lost you really are. Now, what happens is, is people in the world, like all of us, we have a tendency to do this. We kind of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of compare our good to others' goods and, you know, the way we live to other people's life. And, and all of a sudden, we kind of get this idea that, you know, well, we're more in line or we're more, you know, somehow uh, our good deeds or our works and things begin to sort of separate us. But Paul's saying, look, you know, forget about that. It doesn't matter. No matter how good your deeds are, it's totally irrelevant because there isn't a good place you can get to that's good enough because you're de we're depraved as, as human beings, and we need this, this message of grace. We need to receive this impartation of grace if we're ever going to have any hope whatsoever of getting into the place we need to be with God and to be able to spend eternity with Him whenever we leave this earth. Now, this is very contrary to what a lot of people in modern-day culture would, would have a view of. In fact, I will say that there's a lot of people that are even believers in the church that have this view. And it's like, man, you know, I understand kind of what you're saying, but that's really not accurate whenever people are talking. They say, well, you know, like there, there's this inherent good in us. Like, the word, well, you know, I mean, he's just a good, we're, we're good people. I mean, you know, they got, there's a good guy. And I agree, like the way they describe it, yeah, great guy, great woman. Yeah, they're good people. But Culture sees it as like there's this inherent good in us as people, right? And that's not true. That's not true according to Scripture that all people, all human beings, we don't have this capability of the kind of goodness it takes to be able to somehow merit salvation or grace. It's strictly a gift. It's a free gift. He says that he gives it freely, right? And so we've got to really grasp how desperate and in need and to pray we are and how much there's no other solution no other provision no other answer response or measure that we can take to get into a right place of standing with God and to be accepted by him for eternity in heaven other or apart from this message of grace there's no other solution that we can come to and then he goes on in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 through 24. And he says, 
Uh, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely, like I just said, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely justified by grace, not earned, not merited, and not originating in ourselves or in any other uh, form or any other place that we can seek to achieve it. All fall short. But what's cool here is that he says righteousness is revealed apart from the law. So for years before Jesus came, we had the old te- we had the, the Ten Commandments, right? Moses had the Ten Commandments, and that was known as the law. But he's saying this righteousness, this right standing with God, and this ability, this empowerment to be able to live the life that God's called you to live. Look, the law couldn't get it done. It didn't accomplish that. The righteousness that we're talking about, that we're seeking, that men for years, the the law, they they aimed and, and sought to try to get there through following these rules. But it never actually accomplished it. He's saying that right here. He's saying, look, righteousness, your righteousness with God, it came apart from the law. It came freely by grace. That's what gives it to you. Had nothing to do with following the rules of the Old Testament or anything like that whatsoever. You know, that that was all moving forward in a direction towards the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's when the work actually became fulfilled. And then he says in Romans chapter 5, he says, Moreover, and this is in verse 20, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns in righteousness to eternal life. And so this idea of it reigning, right, is, is, this, is this ongoing, perpetuating, uninterrupted thing. Grace is once received, it's, it's, it's uninterrupted in our life. I mean, it's just something that we are under the grace of God because of what Christ did, not because of anything that we've earned. And so it reigns in righteousness. Now, if you look at righteousness, okay, I'm going to unpack this a little bit. So if you look at righteousness, righteousness kind of has a two-part meaning to it. And it's the case when you study it in the Bible. When sometimes when we look at righteousness, it talks about being in right standing with God. And that is basically meaning you've been forgiven of your sins and you've been accepted as a child of God and you're going to live in eternity in heaven with Him. Right standing. You're justified, forgiven, redeemed. The debt that we owed through sin has been paid in full. It's been relinquished. You are in right standing with God. That's one element of righteousness. But the other element of righteousness is right living. It's right living. When we talk about being righteous, a lot of times, you know, you can, you can refer to that as somebody that's living righteously or they're living the way that God wants them to live as they move forward. Righteousness reigns, right? It continues to move forward in our life. 
And we've talked a little bit about the whole idea of right standing uh, as, with God as far as that element of righteousness, justified, accepted, forgiven, and redeemed, closing the gap of separation that was there between God and man. But I want to talk about the idea of righteousness as it deals with right living. Because this is where we start to get into the idea of works a little bit. And this is where it can start to become uh, confusing or people can get, you know, off course a little bit with it. And when he says in, back in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul says that righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Okay, it's important we go back and grasp this, that righteousness, it doesn't go from faith to works. It doesn't shift once we get the righteousness, right? From faith to faith. It begins and ends with faith. Faith in, in this, this impartation of grace. But we also understand that Paul talks about this idea that we're going to have to live rightly. We're going to live rightly before God once we've received this salvation. Go to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He's moving on here, right? And he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer for it? And in verse 14... He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So we are under grace, resting under grace. And what that does is that keeps us, and, and it keeps us in that place of right standing with God. We're not shifting in and out of salvation. We're not losing it and then getting it back. We're not somehow moving along and, you know, this idea of being in right standing with God is like this pendulum that's swinging back and forth and sometimes we're in the zone and sometimes we're not. That's just junk. That's not true, right? God's grace, we rest under it. It's over us. It covers us. It, it endures. It's uninterrupted through our life. But he's saying, but, but, what, but what then? I mean, just because grace abounds, so we just continue in sin then now so that we can just say grace is with us? No, absolutely not. He said, how can we who die to sin continue to live in it? How can we want to, to live that way? How can we claim to, you know, be under grace and just, just keep living a life recklessly that's not seeking God's will and what he wants for us? I think it's really interesting that, you know, again, the works don't do it. It's the grace. But when the law came, when Moses got the Ten Commandments on Sinai, 3,000 people died that day. Did you know that? Because they were disobeying the law. They were following idols and everything else. Moses came down the mountain and, you know, it was like total chaos and just vile behavior and everything else. And 3,000 people died as a result when the law came. But when grace came, when God poured out his spirit at Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Saved. Added to the church that day. Born into eternal life. So this gives us a good picture of what the law brings and what um, an idea of somehow our works and our deeds achieving something or attaining something versus what grace brings, which is life. And what Paul's saying here and what he's, what he's getting ready to continue to go on into is he's saying, look, 
you got to live right. You, you're going to have, there, there is a life of right living that God's calling you to. But it flows out of the life that's been impacted by grace. It doesn't flow in order to try to achieve or attain or stay under this grace. See, the law changed from the outside in. It, it, it brought rules and brought things that people from the outside tried to stay in place and tried to do something on the inside of them that, you know, as, as a result of following these things. And it was, it was futile. I mean, it, it never would get there. But grace changes us from the inside out. It comes supernaturally and just <laughs> imparted to us freely by God. We receive it. And it changes us from the inside. And then we begin to see the change outside in our lives as a result of living under this grace. You get an amen to that? So, now this answers the question of whether we continue under grace without regard for work. So he's saying, look, you know, we're going to live right. We're going to live the way God's called us to. But it's not in order to attain anything or, or merit this grace. It's actually flowing out of us. He even says, he goes on, not to get into these scriptures, but in Romans chapter 7, he goes through this whole dissertation of how, like, you know, I want to do good, but I don't really do good. You know, I, the things that I will to do, I don't do, but the things I will not to do, I do do. And he talks about how there's this, this battle of the flesh that's constantly going on and warring at us and, and what the Spirit of God wants for us. And so he's, he's, he's saying, look, you know, just when you, when you receive this grace, it doesn't mean that you just automatically are going to be able to live the way that God wants you to live because you're still a part of a fleshly body that's, that's, that's got sin bent in it. And so you're going to walk through this life on earth before you go to be with God in heaven. And this sinful body, it's going to be something that you're going to have to uh, have a solution for. You're going to have to reconcile with yourself that you're, you're going to still be bent and have a tendency towards doing things that oppose what God wants for you. But there's a solution for that, and it's grace, which reigns in righteousness, which is not only right standing, but also right living before God. And I'm going to be just getting ready to introduce you to something that absolutely has changed my life, the way that this message of grace unfolds. And I'm actually going to go over into... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, to bring this out, because this is, to me, this is one of the most powerful uh, displays of this, this message of grace. But Paul says, okay, he says, look, I am who I am by the grace of God. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. So get this, right? I, it's basically saying, to paraphrase, I am who I am by the grace of God, and I do what I do by the grace of God. Th this is, to me, it's like the saving grace is, this, is the grace that makes us righteous before God in right standing, and we inherit salvation, right? But... I do what I do is an empowering grace. This grace that we stay under, it empowers us to live the life that God has called us to live. That there is a grace 
that God freely gives when he gives it. It all comes together in one package, right, is grace. But there's an element of this that empowers us to be able to do what God has called us to do and live the way that he's called us to live. So powerful. I am who I am by the grace of God. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And I do what I do by the grace of God. I'm going to live the life God's called me to live. My no discipline or, or willpower or effort of my own is somehow it's going to originate in me, but I'm going to have to rely on the same grace of God to be able to do exactly what he's called me to do in my life. And I'm going to live right. I'm going to live the life he's called me to because I want to in a response to this overwhelming grace, this love of God. He deserves it. And I want it because I know this God that gives me this grace, he knows what's better for me than I do. And I want it badly. But I get, okay, I get, I can't do the works apart from empowering grace. That will set so many people free. So many people need to hear that. Because they think once they receive this grace, a lot of people do, I just say, that somehow they're going to move on and now they're going to just like earn their way along or just like prove themselves or just somehow I just stay in the zone of right living, man. I just got to stay there. I just got to, you know. And then they air off the mark and it's like then condemnation starts coming and it's self-guilt. It's like, hey, dude, look, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't going to happen from you anyway. You weren't going to do that on your own. You, 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 you missed, you got off the boat, <laughs> you know, you were on it and then you got off it. You had to stay on it because that same grace that set you free, that saved you and gave you eternal life is the same grace that's going to empower you to live the life that God's called you to live. It's the full message of grace, right? It's the full message of grace. And out of that sets this thing of works right for us. It sets it right. It sets it right for me. Because I know, should we continue in sin? No, no way. How can we do that? Been saved by grace, right? That's how I feel. But at the same time, I screw up, man. I don't get it right every day. Every day I don't get it right at some point, right? Ah, but that grace. God, that grace that I need empowers me to be all you've called me to be and do what you've called me to do. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. Supernatural God supernaturally created us, supernaturally planned a life for us, and it takes something supernatural to accomplish it. It just kind of makes sense supernaturally, right? And we need that grace. He says, I am who I am by the grace of God, and I do what I do by the grace of God. A works mentality tends to drive people to do right out of a motivation really of fear or worry or, or just somehow like you know afraid to fall into this place of condemnation but this message of grace it motivates us to do right and live right out of love out of response to something so amazing so wonderful so mind-blowing that God would do what he did for us I don't have another response other than just to desire to do, live my life the way he's called me to. Would, and just like Dan sang in the song, today we were talking, it's like we never come close. We, there's, or he was saying in his word, there's no, we can never get there. I mean, there's nothing we could do that could fully repay that, that could come close. 
But there's this thing set in me as a response to that grace that just wants desperately to do what God has called me to do in my life and to please Him and to serve Him. And I know that it's going to be the best life that I could ever have. It's going to be way better than if I tried to sit here and plan it out myself. And I realize that I have to rest in and stay under. And really, you're under it. It's just a matter of, matter of your faith being active and applied to that truth to say that this empowering grace is actually being active and demonstrated in my life. You don't come out from under it. It's just a matter of your faith being active in that truth to apply it, to see that empowering grace continue to flow through you steadily like a never-ending stream, producing the things that God wants to produce in your life. Amen? The prophet Zechariah said, I love this. He says in, in chapter 4, this was hundreds of years before Jesus came, but this, is, this was fulfilled in what Jesus did. He says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Look, you don't have the might or the power to do what God has called you to do. You don't and I don't and nobody else does. Let's just settle that, okay? We can't do it. It doesn't exist in us. The, the capacity to live the life fully that God has called us to live, it does not exist in us. It only is made possible by the empowering grace freely given to us that we just receive and that, our, and that it, it's demonstrated in our faith as we believe and apply that moving forward in this life. And, and because of that, we also gain this sensitivity to the things that God would not have us to do. We gain this thing of the Holy Spirit in us that convicts us of the things that are off course or a part of what God is calling us to do. And then we don't get away from the conviction, again, by works, by discipline, by some great response in our own strength and energy. We, we get back from the, when we're convicted, we get back to the place because of grace. It's just, you know, the Bible, John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's the conviction, it's like there's this sensitivity to things that are not in the will of God, and then there's a grace provision for that, right? We just confess our sins, God forgives us all, every time and cleanses us of any of that unrighteousness. In Ezekiel... Chapter 11, this is another prophecy, and he says, I will give them, one, this is God speaking through the prophet here, he says, I will give them one heart, I will put a new spirit within them, I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Think about that takes a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes. Flesh, you know, there's feeling in that. There's life, there's feeling, there's sensitivity to things that are happening externally, right? That heart of flesh, the God's spirit that he puts in us, be, it, it empowers us, it makes us capable of being sensitive to the things that are not of God and that God doesn't want for our lives. And then we just come right back around to this measure of grace, this message of grace, to where we have 
that we know that we're under that and that it's uninterrupted in our life and all we have to do is just continue to have faith in that and we move forward and the empowerment we need to do everything God's called us to do exists. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. I'm going to wrap up here. One more scripture after this. But it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. All grace abound towards you. It's just grace. It's not like 90% grace one day, 80% grace another day. It's just all grace. It's just all there all the time, resting under it as children of God. And we just walk in that empowerment that comes from that because we have faith in that. And it's active, flowing out of us. And our life is displaying and demonstrating that which is what God is wanting for us. It's like, uh, I think it was Paul said, he says, you know, or James said, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? What is he saying? He's not saying... I'm going to show you my works to earn my faith. He's just saying, look, my faith is in this grace. And so I'll just, if you look at my works, then they're just going to line up with the fact that I'm living under this empowering grace. And I can, I can point to God as the one that's behind all that and not to myself. And then as you kind of get down towards the end of the book of Romans, in chapter 11, Paul breaks out into this like celebration of praise. So I've, I've walked you through very quickly, I understand, and so I, I appreciate you letting me take you through a lot of this stuff today. But I've walked you through how Paul's really uncovered and unpacked in, in Romans through all these letters of this message of grace. And then he, he addresses right living and talks about what that really is when you get the full message of grace. And then he, he breaks out in chapter 11 in like this place of celebration and praise. Listen to this. He says in verse 33... Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? He's just like saying, and you would, you would, this is how I'm feeling right now. And this is how we feel when we sit there and we talk about grace and we talk about how we can live right because there's this grace that's empowering us to do that and that we rest under it and it's uninterrupted. We don't come out from under it. And you just are like, man, how amazing is the wisdom of God? This is an unbelievable plan. God, it's amazing to think this, to like know this, to, to create this and to set this up this way. How could we, it's like this message of praise and excitement and thankfulness yes god i get it it takes the pressure off my works gives you the glory for my life and says i'm never going to be out from under this empowering grace and this right standing with you i'm never going to come out from under it no how matter how bad you know i may slip up or mess up i'm not coming out from under it how in the you're just an amazing god the depth of your riches of your wisdom and knowledge only you could think and create a plan up like that for little old me. And I just want to serve you the rest of my days. That's what I want. Stand to your feet with me. and.